Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. It is uh, It is now Guest-tember. Guest-tember. We don't mm. have a theme song for that yet. Ooh, I think we, we need should... to come up with a Guest-tember yeah. jingle. And then we'll just like drop it in like right here. Great. Okay. Oh my god, that was beautiful. Oh, such good singers. The vocals, Mm -mm. Uh. like Mariah Carey, I love it. Um, Also, so uh, (laughs) our guest today, we are very excited because um, he will be talking to us about a topic that we never cover ever, ever. ever. (laughs) Uh, So today we have uh, generously has given us some of his time, Eric C from the University of Wisconsin Madison. Hello, Eric. Hi, Eric. Hi, ladies. This is really exciting. I am shaking. I don't under, I don't know why. <laughs> Do not. Oh, my gosh. We are literally in Julia's dining room. It is so. just you and us in my dining room yes, right now. Yes, and Love if you it. mess up, we can always edit it out. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we will make you sound and look as good as humanly possible because we do that for ourselves. Yes. So perfect. why would we not extend that to you? Love it. Um, so what uh, are you going to be talking to us about today? Math. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and in uh, more than one word, tell us a little about yourself. So I work at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I moved here a month ago from Georgia. So I'm oh, wow. freshly in Wisconsin. Have had the cheese curds. Actually, today is curd fest somewhere in a park, uh, but I'm Jealous. here with you. So that's fine. Thank um, you so much. Wow, you gave up sacrifice this Sunday. Cur- yeah, yep. Totally gave up Curd Fest for Miss Infopod. You know what? Um, I, I wouldn't do the same, I don't think, for Curd yeah. Fest. So. <laughs> um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, so I've been roughly Ooh, everywhere. Boy. And I do research in math education here. I used to teach uh, high school and college math, but I'm really interested in K-8 at the moment. Aww, and by great. the way, long-time listener, first-time caller, I always thought you were saying annoying teens, like teenagers at Pub Quiz. <laughs> And I was like, where are they doing trivia? <laughs> where there's a bunch of annoying teens. Jeopardy teens. champions. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. That's Maybe it. that's what it'll be now. Yeah. We're 108 episodes in. We can change it. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for ma- giving us a, a new, like, a new canon for us. It's annoying teens. These teens I mean, who think they know anything. There's no other kind of teen. Exactly. No, 100%. There's no teens that listen to this podcast. So I think that's we're okay. True. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, uh, Eric, whenever yes. you're ready, we are ready to just absorb your knowledge. Okay, perfect. So, oh, wait, by the way, before we start, I yeah. want to know what your math experiences are. Like, what's the highest level of math you've done? How did you feel about Oof. it? Okay. Um, all right. So I took up to calculus uh, in high school. That was um, forced upon me because mm. the principal said I should take it and I didn't want to and um, I only passed calculus because all of our tests were partner tests so my partner could say this is the formula we use this is where we use it when we use it why we use it and I would say I think that's supposed to be a negative instead of a positive number and then we would pass math class so uh, algebra uh, I couldn't do anything about it today but I used to do algebra geometry made the most sense to me okay all right yeah 
I'm with yeah. you on that. Um, the highest I took was I took calculus in um, like freshman year of college and I withdrew from it because the professor would not let us use calculators on the tests and I would fail. The, I know. And I would fail the tests because I would run out of time because I would have to like not only like figure out the formula, but also do all of like the long division and multiplication tables and things. Right. Um, and up until then, I did like math to a certain degree because it was like you had an answer. Like you plugged in the numbers and you had an answer and there wasn't any like, there wasn't any emotion in it. You didn't have to think it out. It wasn't like, you know, critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I like that you could just figure it out and that was the answer and that was the end. Mm -hmm. So that's as far as I got. Oh, interesting. This is good. So I've structured today's topic around three things, numbers, geometry, and we're going to end with calculus and then we're going to put them all together in a, in a story called A Mathematician You Should Know. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, I'm doing a really teacher thing of like trying to inject interest and probably something that's not interesting, but that's fine. No, that's perfect. Um, perfect. <laughs> so math comes from the Greek word mathano. Okay, that's the first word I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> mathano, which means something that is learned or a lesson or knowledge. Mm-hmm. So nothing to do with numbers, nothing to do what we think of when we think of math. And that sort of makes sense a little because math was paired with astrology, philosophy, humanities, art. So it was one big thing um, in ancient Greece. Um, And math is a little difficult to define these days, but the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics has five main strands of math, which are number and operations, geometry, measurement, algebra, and data analysis and probability. And the higher you go in math, then you come up with words like differential equations, topology, Mm -hmm. algebraic geometry, and I don't know any of that crap. (laughs) So we're just going to stick with numbers, geometry, and calculus. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we got numbers to begin with. So numbers were initially used to keep track of things. So you think of ancient communities, ancient societies, they had to keep track of things like cattle, days, animals hunted. And so they would have, you know, we know this from looking at old bones and etches on bones, sort of like tally marks to see what, um, you know, how many cattle we have or how many people are in our community. That's Um, so cool to think about. Yep, yep. It's in a lot of societies. But the issue is as societies grew, then just one tally mark per thing wasn't efficient. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we're going to talk about is called the base of a number system. And this is basically the way things are grouped together. And we use a decimal system, which means we really like groups of 10. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So a few uh, other systems, ancient Babylonians had a base 60 system or a sexagesimal system. Um, yeah, which is my Tinder profile name. Um, <laughs> Ooh, yes. A- Ooh, sexagesimal. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something happens on date 60. You have to get there to find out. <laughs> exactly. um, that's, when you, Sorry. that's when you bring out the math is my new favorite <laughs> subject. <laughs> Swipe, right? But can you, so this is, so something happens, they group things by 60. Can you think of something that we do today that's a group of 60? Well, minutes and seconds. seconds. Yeah. Yeah, minutes and seconds. So we're using an ancient, <laughs> we just an ancient Babylonian uh, base system, which is really interesting. We never think about this stuff. We um, never think about no. why. We just accept no. it. Yep. Exactly. Math. Um 
Ancient Mayans of Central America had a base 27 system called a vigesimal system. And it was base 20 perhaps because of the digits on your hands and toes at the same time. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And people think that, oh, base 10, supernatural because we have 10 fingers. Or if you include toes, it's all like bases of 10. Mm -hmm. But there is one society in Papua New Guinea. um, uh, They don't use a space system today. It's a base 27 system. Mm-hmm. So we're going to count together using our bodies, okay? Okay. So you're going to point first to your pinky finger. That's one. Okay. Ring finger two. Two. Mm-hmm. Middle three. Mm-hmm. Pointer four. Uh-huh. Thumb five. Okay. Yeah. Wrist. Wrist. Six. Oh, you oh, never no. think about the wrist. No, you okay. don't. No. Forearm. Seven. Okay. Elbow. Eight. Okay. Bicep. Nine. Oh, no. Shoulder. 10. Uh-oh. And so it goes around the head into the other body, which is why they counted with a base 27 system. <laughs> okay. So you don't, you think of like the things that stick out, but yeah. not the stuff that's already like already working around attached. your torso. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. So they use base 27. So they don't use it today because of colonization. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I think a good episode for this is the story of white men. So we'll get to the first one in a bit. Um, <laughs> Um, other ancient societies, such as the ancient Chinese, Indian, and Egyptians, had a base 10 system. But the issue with that is writing their numbers was difficult because they used different symbols for different numbers. So you know how you have the Roman numerals? And for some reason, 50 is a whole new symbol. It's the letter L, and mm-hmm. we don't know why. And that's pretty inefficient, which why it makes it a good trivia question, because it's inefficient. Um, so we had to find ways to write down... A lot of numbers, but with the same rule, which is the way we do it today. Groups of 10. Okay. Okay. And the system we use today is called the Hindu Arabic system of numerals. And the reason why it's called Hindu Arabic is it started in India around the 6th or 7th century and was introduced to North Africa through the writings of Middle Eastern mathematicians known as, okay, here we go, Al-Khwarizmi and Al-Kindi, also known as the fathers of algebra. (gasps) Yeah. No. 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 What? Yeah. No. So the the prefix al is sort of from this area. It's the same thing with arithmetic. All these words come from the Middle East. Oh my god, my mind is totally blown. <laughs> Eric, you're killing me. This is amazing. That's okay. Math. <laughs> Sorry. Math. I should just math. Um, so Leonardo Bonacci. Sorry. Italy, no, you got it. In general. Did you say or, it? You got Remember, you got to pinch your finger. You pinch oh, your finger like this. Crap. It makes it a well, lot actually, easier to say. I did have pizza the other day, so I'm a fish. <laughs> um, also known as Leonardo of Pisa or Fibonacci popularized a Hindu Arabic numeral system in the Western world because he grew up in Northern Africa, which where he learned all of this stuff. Okay. But he wrote books for Europe. And the book he wrote was called Liber Abaci, not the singer. Yeah. <laughs> um, does the name Fibonacci ring any bells? Yes, we've heard of his sequence. Yes. Okay, go say him. Uh, one, no. one, two, three, five. Sorry, I have help in the background. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, wait a second, how are you getting this? And I realized Josh has given it to you like a cheat, like a big old cheat cheater. <laughs> He's cracking up. He I knew it started it. with one one two. I yeah, didn't know one, where to one, go from two, there. Bleh. I think you add the previous number to the next number. Is that it? 
Yeah, you add the two numbers and then you get the next number. So you start off with zero and one, which is, and then et cetera, zero plus one is one. That's the next number. One plus one is two. That's the next number. One plus two is three, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, yeah. So he also introduced um, the system of writing we use today to Europe. Oh, wow. Uh, the Europeans did not like this because <laughs> it wasn't what they were using. I mean, really. Yeah, people hate change. You're I've using realized. letters. <laughs> yeah, we love a letter. Yeah. Um, so today we have uh, a lot of bases we use. So, for example, we have a base 2 system called the binary system. And this is the, your uh, prototypical image of 100001 in mm-hmm. our computers. And that's because you have groups of two that are important. Um, mm-hmm. We have a base 16 system called the hexadecimal system, okay, which awesome. means you have to use 16 characters to count. We don't have 16 numerals, so the way they count is 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, A, which stands for 10, B, C, D, E, F. And it's okay. mostly used in advertising. So a color is assigned mm-hmm. a hex color. And we want marketing to be standard across the board. So I'll give you an example. The University of Wisconsin-Madison, the University of Georgia, and Coca-Cola all use red. But there are different types of red. And they need to make sure they're using the same red all throughout. And that's where I know the hexadecimal system is used. Um, I don't know any other place where it's used. (laughs) So we have next uh, zero and negative numbers. Uh, Ancient Egyptians and Mesoamericans used zero the same we use it today. A lot of people did not use zero. And the reason why no one liked zero is because it's philosophical. Mm-hmm. You're putting down something, but you really mean nothing. Yeah. And well. that, that was like a, 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 like a, what is it? The blue and yellow dress situation. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that- like we have three cow. That's fun to write down, but you don't want to write down that you had no cows. Well, yeah. And also that like fucks people up. Like if you, the, the concept of nothing. Like not even yourself as like alone in the universe. Like if, like you said, philosophically, nothing is a very difficult thing to kind of like sit with, Oof. right? Exactly. Oof. Yeah. Um, so what they did for cultures that didn't have the numeral zero, they just left a space in the middle. So the numbers twelve, a hundred and two, a thousand and two, ten thousand and two would look roughly the same. It's just one space. I don't know how many, two. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. wow. Mm. So people started uh, realizing how important zero was, and they started using zero. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> integers were the same way. No one understood the concept of a negative number. So like your example, Joe, you have two cow, you take away three cows. It's zero. Yeah. Not negative one cow. So um, negative numbers actually came to being because of mathematical formalism, just when they started using more abstract notions of number. Mm-hmm. And that's why integers became a thing. Integers only became a thing in the 19th century. So it's actually a pretty wow. recent invention. Whoa. Oh, so like interesting. George Washington didn't have negative anything. Exactly. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> George Washington didn't have negative anything. He didn't even have negative teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that grew out of his own Zero head. teeth, but not negative not teeth. Not negative teeth. Okay, That's amazing. All right. We're going to leave that. We're going to do our last type of number, which is the rational and irrational numbers. So a rational number is basically any number that can be expressed as a fraction, as long as you know that pesky rule of that second number cannot be zero. We mm-hmm. don't like that. 
uh, get her away from us. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some famous irrational numbers. Can you name any irrational numbers? Ooh. Ooh. I yes. can. Yes, pi. Ma'am. Pi. Okay, pi. Mm-hmm. Pi is an irrational number. Any other uh, irrational number? E? e? Wait. E. Yeah. He's okay. right. Are you, you're e right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep going. I don't know anything uh, else. Is I? Is I one of uh, them? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, now I'm it's just okay. naming vowels. I'm on the wrong show. <laughs> oh, oh is it O? You. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of our square roots are irrational numbers. So the square root of two, the square root of three, they're all irrational. Anything without, you know, a, a nice round answer is uh, is an irrational number. Which brings us to white man number two, Pythagoras. Mm. Mm-hmm. We've heard of him. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately. Uh, Pythagoras. <laughs> Listen, the scourge of his theorem in high school. It's insane. (laughs) So Pythagoras loved whole numbers and the relationship between them. So he thought the whole universe was comprised of whole numbers and the relationship between whole numbers. So rational numbers. Mm -hmm. And we can find this uh, in his work in music. Um, He loved making ratios of a string. So if you have a piece of string, you pluck it and makes a sound. Mm -hmm. And then if you cut it according to some whole number ratios, you can get the full octave. And they were like really nice round whole numbers. So for example, you play the string 4C, you pluck it in a ratio of 2 to 3, you get the note G. You pluck it in a ratio of 4 to 5, you get the note E. So it's a nice way of combining music and math. That's amazing. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're going to say that a lot. Yeah, we're going to. You're blowing well, our minds. Bill and Ted. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Lauren and Julia's excellent adventure <laughs> yes, with exactly. math. It's great. This only happens with women, which is disappointing for me. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Talk Sex about zero. <laughs> you know, that should get. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> sorry. Much more, much more traction than it does. I'm just yeah. saying. Children don't listen to this, right? Um, <laughs> no, they no. don't. Don't worry. Adults oh. only. <laughs> um, so we go to his famous theorem, which I'm going to ask you to state. Lauren, do it. Oh, no. <laughs> the Pythagorean theorem. It's um, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Okay. So, what do A, B, and C stand for? Um, numbers. <laughs> uh, I got you there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a triangle. It's a tri- yeah, it's so a triangle. The length yeah. and the height. Of. And then the hypotenuse. Okay, which one's the hypotenuse? C. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. So the statement of the theorem, because I know. Congratulations. <laughs> Good you job, did like Joel. geometry, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Pythagorean theorem without the symbols is the sum of the squares of the two shorter sides of a right angle triangle is equal to the square of the longer side, and the longer side is the hypotenuse. Mm-hmm. Um. Which was famously incorrectly stated by the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. So you remember when he gets his brain, and for some reason, because when you get a brain, you're automatically good in math. Um, (laughs) Which is fine. That's okay. Um, So the Scarecrow says in the movie, the sum of the square roots of two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. So there are a lot of things that are inaccurate about that. So, you know... (laughs) Refund. There were yeah. a lot of things that were inaccurate about the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> so the Scarecrow, regardless of getting a brain, unfortunately, he will continue to be an idiot. Incorrect information. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, Pythagoras, unsurprising, was not the first person 
to write about this. The ancient Indians, Chinese, and Babylonians wrote about this way before Pythagoras did. Mm. But we use his name because we don't know. (laughs) Um, Pythagoras did have groupies. Um, They were called the Pythagoreans. And they lived in uh, ancient Greece as well as Italy. And ancient sources record that early Pythagoreans underwent a five-year initiation of listening to teachings in silence. So math class. Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) For five years. Oh, Lord. It's like, oh, enough of this. Uh, Initiates could uh, take a test and become members of the inner circle, and they could leave whenever they want. So progressive. So So sounds like a cult. So not technically a cult, though, because they could leave whenever whenever they they want. They could leave. Wink. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Upon pain Uh, of death. The philosopher Iamblichus listed 235 Pythagoreans by name, among which 17 women, who he described as the most famous women practitioners of Pythagoreanism. So Pythagoras woke. Yes. I think. So it's great. Perfect. He let women in and they were the most famous parts of it. Good. Yeah. Good for him yeah. and them. <laughs> so there are two tenets of Pythagoreanism I want to talk about. One's math related, one's not. Um Ooh, I did a Wisconsin nut. I've been here too long. You've been there for a month, uh, right? I know. <laughs> no, that's it. You're in it deep. Uh, listen. You're going to be wearing test. a cheese block on your head you're oh, sooner than you know. know. You're going to be uh, waist deep in curds. <laughs> uh, sounds like Friday night. Um, <laughs> so the Pythagoreans also believe that all numbers could be expressed as a ratio of integers like Pythagoras did. Um, but there is one dude. His name is Hippasus. I don't know where he's from. <laughs> Probably Me- Metapontum. Metapontum. I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay. Yeah. Who cares? So everything is whole numbers and ratios. But when Hippasus put the um, the shorter size of the triangle as one and one, he found that the hypotenuse is not a rational number. Today we call it the square root of two, but we know that the square root of two is irrational. So he goes to the Pythagoreans and say, like, listen, there's this thing. It's not rational, but we built it out of rational numbers. What do we do? Uh, the Pythagoreans hated that, so they took him on a boat and drowned him. <gasps> wow. Oh, no. I was going to make a joke about a trap door, but the truth what? is stranger than fiction. So they are not as woke as you would think. They were like, that's it. This guy yeah. is going straight into the Aegean. <laughs> Forget keep, it. Keep it. Keep it a secret. Yeah. The, the original deep state. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, please. Okay. Um, so that was one. They did not like the irrational number, so they kept it away from the populace. So good for them. A second tenet of the Pythagoreans were they believed in the transmigration of the soul. So a soul could move from one thing to another, including an animal, which means that Pythagoras actually forbade the consumption of meat because it's like cannibalism. Thus, Pythagoreans were one of the earliest known vegetarians. Oh, hey. How about that? Definitely cult-like. It seems like a lot of cults had vegetarians. They were like, vegetarians. A lot of rules here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's my tofu? I don't yeah. like that horse. Uh, Pythagoreans believe that fava beans could contain the soul of the dead because the bean had a flesh-like covering and the plants looked like they could connect the earth and Hades. What? Because obviously, I don't know. I'm not a Pythagorean. So... Um, so they, uh, thought that the beans were associated with reincarnation and then that it's as well cannibalism if you eat a fava bean. 
There is a myth, a legend, uh, an unverified story that uh, Pythagoras was um, being chased one time by an angry mob, as one was done in ancient Greece. Sure, yeah. And he came across a field of fava beans, and because he didn't want to destroy them, he just stopped and got killed in front of the field of fava beans. (laughs) (laughs) That is such an A to C thing. Well, well, I had a good run. (laughs) Creed arms. Take me, Zeus. Creed arms into the mo- angry mom. Mm-hmm. Here, I take the wheel. Yeah. So, <laughs> so very good. Sorry. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's Pythagoras. Wow. And while we're talking about Amazing. triangles, we'll go to our second topic of geometry. How are we feeling? Great. Oof. We're I, doing okay so far. I'm full of knowledge and okay. wine. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> but also knowledge. More okay. importantly. Well, it is ancient Greece. Yeah. Um, so because we're talking about Pythagoras, let's talk about geometry a little bit. Sure. So you remember that numbers were used to count things, but at some point, ancient communities needed a way to make sense of space, <laughs> um, sort of your physical movement. So ancient Egyptians used a lot of geometry because the Nile tended to flood a lot, and they needed ways to keep track of this mathematically. So they needed to start assigning numbers. Mm. And they were... Uh, Ancient Egyptians had geometers they called rope stretchers because they were essentially measuring a lot of things and making sense of the space with numbers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. White man number three, Euclid, <laughs> uh, mm. the father of geometry. Have we heard of um We've heard, heard of, of Euclidean geometry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. This is good because we're going to get into non-Euclidean geometry. In oh, a bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Euclid was a Greek mathematician who lived and flourished in Alexandria in Egypt around 300 BC, and he wrote a very specific book called The Elements. And this is a mathematical treatise of 13 books, and our geometry high school textbooks actually look a lot like Euclid's Elements. It's pretty much all those theorems, postulates, all of that stuff. A lot of dicks drawn in the margins by previous students. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Totally as elements, definitely. (laughs) No, not an element. Um, (laughs) Euclid's Elements has been referred to as one of the most successful and influential textbooks ever written, and it is one of the earliest mathematical works to be printed after the invention of the printing press and has been estimated to be second only to the Bible in the number of editions published. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. The Bible and math. Two things that... (laughs) Eric has not dealt with... No, it's fine. Um, I don't want to go through all 13 books, but I do want to talk about book 13 because there's a lot of things we can learn, especially if you go to trivia. Mm. So the first, uh, it's the book on platonic solids. Okay. Before we go into platonic solids, a uh, note for trivia writers, the the, um, the suffix gon and hedron are important to math. So gon refers to two-sided flat figures. Hedron is refers to... Uh, three-dimensional figures. Mm. The issue is when we write um, the side of something. So we know like the side of a 2D figure, we know what that means, but the side of a 3D figure is a little iffy. So if you think of a cube, you can think of a side as a face Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where the dots are, but we can also think of the side as the sort of skeleton that surrounds it. So the sides of the square. So mathematicians use the word face as the face and the edges, which are the skeleton part of um, a 3D figure. So in three-dimensional space, a platonic solid is a regular. So by regular, it means all the faces are the same. Uh, convex, which is difficult to convey in audio format, so we're going to skip that. Um, and, oh, I guess that's it. Okay. So there are... 
<laughs> there are only five solids that meet these criteria. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the name of the 3D figure. You tell me how many faces there are Oof. based on All what right. I'm going to say. All right. All okay. right. Tetrahedron. Uh, tetra meaning four. Tetra. Yep. Four. yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. Four. Okay, good. Um, and so what this looks like is a pyramid with a triangle base instead oh, of a sure. square yeah. base. Mm-hmm. Hexahedron. Six. Yeah. Yep. Your cube. A cube has six a faces. A cube is a hexahedron. Ooh, That's right. Like no. a exactly. Roll of the dice. That's a hexahedron. <laughs> Perfect. Great. Very nice. Uh, octahedron. Eight. Eight. Yeah. Okay. So what that looks like is think of a pyramid with a square base. Think of two of them. Stick it at the bottom. Oh, so you okay. So like this diamond-like figure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I feel like that's a thing in a video. Like this... <laughs> Oh, is why it like Sims is popping into my head. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, like, yes. like the Sims mm-hmm. little like mm-hmm. gem above their heads. Yep, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I never thought of that. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> you I don't know what I'm doing that. tonight. That's for mm-hmm. you. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, how sad. Uh, dodecahedron. That's 12. Yeah. Yep. And this is a figure that sort of looks like a soccer ball. A soccer ball has two faces, though. It has a pentagon and a hexagon on it. So it's not a true... Um, platonic solid okay so uh now and i'm really gonna show my nerd is it isn't that like one of the die for dungeons and dragons it's a 20 sided oh, i work oh, with dungeons and dragons at work a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's why i know this <laughs> all right D Ders ignore me <laughs> oh no i'm not a dnder i'm not ignoring wait that doesn't make sense <laughs> Never mind. pull that back um do you know what that die is called the twenty-sided die. Um, so it's a—it's actually a platonic solid. Ooh, okay. Um, well, deca is ten. Okay. Duo deca is twelve. Do deca is twelve. So, okay. bi deca, mm. bo deca. Nope. I'm oh. just gonna make sounds. Yeah. Um, uh, a deca decahedron. Uh, <laughs> ooh, that's cute. We should totally make a deca decahedron. <laughs> sounds like a uh, like a Pokemon. Yeah. Um, uh, it's called an icosahedron, I-C-O-S. Icosahedron, oh, okay. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, so those are your five platonic solids. Um, they're mm-hmm. named after Plato, who also sure. wrote them, wrote about them way before. And he associated the five solids with classical elements. So here's your um, sort of combination. Okay. So the tetrahedron, which looks like a... A pyramid with, mm-hmm. a, with a triangle base looks like the tip of a spear, which is piercing like fire. So a tetrahedron goes with fire. Okay. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Uh, water is associated with the icosahedron because it's the most ball-like. So it's like a water droplet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cube or hexahedron is associated with earth because it's the only solid that tessellates space. And by tessellate means you can... Put them together, and then it fills up the space without any gaps. Oh, okay, so it's like like a build, literally like a building block yeah, that exactly. can wall mm-hmm. off or take up space. Whoa. Yeah, that's cool. Exactly. So that's associated with Earth. So the air is the octahedron. So that diamond shape, that Sims diamond. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced by um, however it's written, but I will say the association that I make to remember this. So Eric's. Um, favorite planeteer is Linka, mm. who wears a ring, which has a diamond 
and she controls air. So the oxyhedron goes with air. That's this how is I remember. Captain Planet it. reference. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Captain Planet. <laughs> Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> forgotten. Never mind. Um, and the last platonic solid, the dodecahedron, is um, associated with uh, aether or ether, which um, is supposedly the element that makes up heaven. Mm, um, okay. But Euclid was like, Meh, I don't like that. <laughs> so he doesn't associate it with anything. <laughs> He's just like, that's what's left over. So yeah. meh, it gets either. <laughs> so we're going to start leaving ancient Greece. But before we do, I do want to talk about Hypatia. Hypatia yes. was a respected academic at Alexandria's University, a position to which only men were entitled to. So Hypatia was an ancient mathematician and she worked closely with Ptolemy and mm. they made mathematical models of the planets. Oh, that's cool. She got involved with a quarrel between two men, Aristes and Cyril. They didn't like each other. Because she was in the middle, she got killed. <gasps> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get caught between two men. You're the one that... She's the um, who is it? the Eponine of ancient Greece. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah I don't know. Um, you can watch her story in the film Agora. It stars Rachel Weiss. I don't know if she, how she pronounces it. Rachel Weiss as I think it's Weiss. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, and Max Minghella of The Handmaid's Tale, oh. um, who plays a character that didn't exist in real life. <laughs> oh, okay. It's not yeah. really a biopic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> heavily, heavily um, fictionized. Okay. Non-Euclidean geometry. What makes geometry non-Euclidean? It's essentially where the rules of parallel lines don't work. So what's the one rule of parallel lines that we learned from high school? They don't They cross. don't touch. Yep. Yes. They never touch. Yes. They never cross. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So non-Euclidean geometry, that is not true. So parallel lines in non-Euclidean geometry sometimes cross. Sometimes they cross three times. Sometimes they always cross, like to infinity. Oh, wow. So an example of non-Euclidean <laughs> geometry is spherical geometry and uh, which is everything, all the geometry you can do on a sphere. Mm. And that's where a lot of things um, go haywire. So as we all know, and we're going to say this together as a group, as a family. Ooh, okay. That we all know that the sum of the angles of a triangle is, say it with me now. Tuberculosis. <laughs> I, knew, I knew one of us was going to take the bit. <laughs> I guess the I was not going the- to get it. <laughs> I wasn't going. I wasn't anywhere near a number. <laughs> I mean, it's better than saying gonorrhea, so that's I'm fine true, with that. I, yeah, I'm glad I went with tuberculosis. <laughs> um, so yeah, so a triangle, the sum of the interior angles of a triangle is 180. In spherical geometry, it's actually not um, accurate. So we'll do um, we'll do an experiment. So make a fist and pretend this is a sphere. Okay. Start somewhere on the equator. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. Walk up to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. Okay. Turn 90 degrees. Turn back down to the equator. Okay. Make another 90 degrees. Okay. Yoga. Okay. And then you're going to reach the starting point where you started. What you've actually formed is a triangle with three 90-degree angles. So 270 degrees. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a triangle with uh, three 90-degree angles, and that's why it 
violates a lot of the stuff we learn in Euclidean geometry. It's also the reason why we have weird flight paths. So if you're on a long haul flight and you're like, why am I not traveling in a straight line? Right. It's because we can't interpret what we're seeing in, on a Euclidean plane with non-Euclidean geometry. And that's why it's in a curve because we're on a sphere. So Euclidean is usually done like on a flat surface then. 2D is that and 3D. It? 2D. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Exactly. There's a lot of other things, but we don't have to get into that. I will talk about one more. Uh, it's projective geometry, which um, I hope that both of you are familiar with because it has to do a lot with art. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lauren. Um, <laughs> so um, projective geometry is where you're trying to make sense of one space in relation to another. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in 3D, you have railroad tracks. And mm-hmm. we know they never meet. They can't meet. People yep. will die if they meet. Yes. Um, but when you paint it, what happens? Oh, oh yeah. You have a vanishing point. So they... A vanishing point. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So parallel lines in 3D meet in a 2D space. And you're projecting 3D onto 2D. And this is what projective geometry is all about. I see. Okay. So it's and the perception. It's class- yeah. Mm-hmm. It's classified as um, non-Euclidean. Wow. Whoa. Yep. So you so do deal of- with math. I guess I do. I didn't know that up until literally this moment. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm happy to help um, popularize math, which, you know, the public wants anyway. Yes, exactly. Clamoring. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we're talking about the vanishing point, let's go into calculus and the idea of infinity. Mm. So. Now, this is where you lose me. Because <laughs> I am a... Uh, I'm a very like, um, I need years and I need firm numbers and I need mm-hmm. dates on things. Like um, like in college, I was like studying for like an ethics class or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I spent like six hours studying and doing note cards and doing all this and that. And I got like a C on the test. And then I went to the professor and I was like, I spent like 14 hours studying for this exam because I'm just so like fact like facts that i can understand oriented i'm not bad at ethics i'm just not good at explaining philosophy well you're bad at abstract thought yes which is not a bad thing which is not a bad thing i mean having like i mean infinity i would imagine and eric is going to tell us um has a lot to do with uh, like the imagining of what like we can't (laughs) What's the word I'm looking for? We cannot <laughs> quantify infinity because infinity is forever. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's a good description. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so no, we're gonna Ooh. we're gonna practice this. So okay. calculus is a branch of mathematics that deals with how things change, and so concepts like speed and acceleration are a lot of parts of calculus. So if you remember your calculus or mm-hmm. uh, word problems, something's moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Two trains are approaching yeah, each exactly. other. At yeah. four, one train is going at 45 miles per hour. Exactly. Yeah. Vanishing. <laughs> um, so compared to ancient mathematicians uh, who use mostly static measures, so three is three, but in calculus you can like move three around. And we'll do an example. So for example, if I gave you a ruler okay. and I said, fine, uh, tell me how long the border of Rochester is, how would you do it? Sorry, how about this? A ruler and a map. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, uh, that's better. <laughs> um, probably, I would imagine, like, use a key and, like, one inch equals, you know, this amount of miles or whatever. And I would, so I would think, like, use a string 
and map out the borders on the map and then put that string on the ruler after finding out what the key is. That's exactly what I said. Okay, perfect. <laughs> no, let's go. <laughs> no, that's... I love a string. So one way, so if we take this one inch um, idea and then what you can do is map one inch across the border of Rochester, what you'll end up with is like this jagged border that sort of approximates mm-hmm. the length of the border. But if you use half an inch, then it becomes a little more accurate. Mm-hmm. You do a quarter of an inch, it becomes way more accurate and you keep on going smaller and smaller and smaller. You can't use zero though. No, but of course the not. smallest number you could use is the most accurate uh, measurement of the border. <laughs> so that's what calculus deals with. Get smaller and smaller and smaller without actually getting to the number. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did calculus get its name? Um, from a calculator. I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I don't have it. Um But I don't want to talk about calculus concepts. I do want to talk about the story of the invention of the calculus starring white men number four and five. Mm, Can't wait. Yeah. So Isaac Newton. We love him. Physicist, mathematician, philosopher, lover of apples. Mm -hmm. Alchemist. Alchemist. (laughs) I keep on forgetting that. You're right. Yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably uh, one of the earlier drag queens. Well, well no. No, prob- um. I mean, I think you're 100% right. <laughs> this queen loved this. his apple. Mm-hmm. Working folk. My wigs are only made from human hair. Don't give me any of that synthetic crap. <laughs> Lace front um. only. <laughs> uh, Newton wrote papers on calculus. So, Julia, here's where your dates come in. Okay. Uh, wrote a lot of calculus in 1669, but wouldn't be published until 42 years later in 1711. Wow. Hmm. Um, But he did share his calculus ideas with his friends and sent them letters. And his approach to calculus was geometry. So what we did with the border of Rochester Mm -hmm. was how Newton approached it. Um, He published Principia, which is sometimes called the greatest scientific book of all time, Mm -hmm. uh, which has a lot of his calculus concepts. And it's where his famous three laws of motions are. So, one writer of calculus, Isaac Newton. Um, second writer, Godfried Leibniz, who um, is German, I believe. Yes, Sounds he pretty German. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he is famous for work on early calculators, and he started the one of the popularizations of the binary system. So, what we talked earlier, the base mm, two cool. system, the 1010, because he liked to deal with calculators. And he worked on calculus concepts within a five-year range of Newton, so in 1674. Um, and he published more on calculus before Newton's work. Oh, wow. Although, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so he was the Hydrox to Newton's Oreo. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Just before. A lot I've, of people don't know that. Hydrox? I'm not... Familiar. Oh, um, oh, it's a sandwich cookie that looks like an Oreo that people thought were the knockoff of the Oreo, but actually oh, it came okay. out like 40 years before. Yeah. I thought it was like bleach or something. Sorry. <laughs> right. Well, it's a very out. unappetizing <laughs> yeah. name, which is why they didn't take off like Oreo did, I, I think. Gotcha. All right. Well, I'm learning something about cookies. <laughs> Happy um, to help. So Isaac Newton uh, accused Leibniz of plagiarism because, again, Leibniz was publishing way before Newton's stuff came out. 
And there is good evidence that Leibniz um, may have plagiarized. He, they were in the same circle of friends. Mm. They were pretty well connected. And um, there is evidence that they were pen pals, that they wrote to each other about math a lot. Oh, my goodness. There were receipts. Yeah, scandal. There are receipts. That's right. Um, So there was this big fight. Who invented calculus? The calculus wars. On one side, you have Newton. On one Mm. side, you have Leibniz. So one way they tried to settle this is they wrote to the British Royal Society and say, please investigate this. We'll give you all of our evidence and you tell us who invented calculus. This is really important because we're white men and we want <laughs> our stamp on this. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. I curse. Um, I curse. Um, so the president of the British Royal Society forms a committee. They investigated and in 1713, they anointed... Newton as the inventor of calculus. Okay. Of course they did. Mm-hmm. So, by the way, Newton was the president of the British Royal Society. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's biased then. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rude. Yep. He was the president, and he was also reportedly the one that formed the committee that looked into this issue. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, <laughs> this guy um, didn't ugh. have a chance. But today, the calculus you probably did in college was actually a lot of Leibniz's notation. So the way we write calculus today is more of the Leibniz notation than the Newton notation. Oh, okay. Hmm. Um, Leibniz died a few years after um, this ruling, and he was buried in an unmarked grave for 50 years. But again, I think we still use his stuff today. So, you know. He lives on. He his lives name on. lives on. His name yeah. lives on in his numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never said before. So glad the Germans lived on. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, historians today say that uh, both men invented calculus independently of each other. So there's actually still no um, answer to this question. Okay. Okay. You wonder when so, the movie's going to come out. I know, But right? the calculus wars. Calculus wars. Oh my gosh, starring Janelle Monet as <gasps> Isaac Newton. <laughs> that's Let's good. start working on this. Yes, that's very good casting, I that's think. That's great. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, so let's wind down with some modern day mathematics. Please. Or stories of how to earn money without leaving your chair. <laughs> We've seen lots of billboards like that on yeah, the highway. Yeah. <laughs> what, really? <laughs> Oh, it doesn't crap, have anything to do with math. Sorry. No. I don't drive by billboards anymore. <laughs> I live in a city now. Okay. Um, so as you know, there's no Nobel Prize for mathematics, particularly because Alfred Nobel didn't think math was useful. Uh, okay. <laughs> wow. That's, That's a blown people claim. up. And then he was yeah. like, mm. He's yeah. like, yeah, chemistry, medicine, totally useful. You in your chair with your chalkboard. Eh. Forget it. Yeah, forget it. But there are a few ways you can earn um, a distinction. So the popular one, or the Nobel Prize of Mathematics, is called the Fields Medal. It's awarded to two, three, or four mathematicians under the age of 40. And it's awarded by the International Congress of the International Mathematical Union. And it's awarded every four years. And they started in 1936. Hmm, Wow. So out of the 60 medalists... The Fields Medal has only has been obtained by one woman in 2014. Her name is Mariam Mirzakhani. 74 years after they started awarding the medal. That's wow. Insane. Wow. <laughs> Cuz it's not like there haven't been any women working in math 
for those 75 years or even thousands of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Pythagorean <laughs> ladies. Yeah. What the hell? Maybe Posthumous. Th- Posthumous. Maybe yes. they were all over the age of 40. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real limiter. You yeah, know? that's a real limiter. You know, a woman is useless after the age of 40. So, yeah. What? Really? <laughs> um, and you remember, so when we talked about the history of math, how important a native. Um, uh, his, uh, Central and Southern Americans were and the Indians were. Mm-hmm. In the same year in 2014, Artur Avila became the first Latin American to win the Fields Medal, and Canadian Manjul Bergava became the first person of Indian origin to win the medal. Also wow. 74 years later. Again, so crazy. A banner uh, year for math, 2014. <laughs> yeah. Really stepping into the 21st century. Oh my god. So each recipient receives prize money of 15,000 Canadian dollars Oof. or 11,000 US dollars. Oh, no. Aw, that's not even enough to get you there for the <laughs> ceremony in a nice hotel and a good restaurant dinner. Oh, Hopefully boy. there's a nice Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> the second medal is the Abel Medal. It's a Norwegian prize awarded annually by the King of Norway to one or more outstanding mathematicians. Um, it's named after the Norwegian mathematician Niels Henrik Abel. And the prize was first proposed in 1899 after, sorry, the first prize was proposed in 1899. And after a lot of politics, the first, it was finally awarded in 2003. So it was first, um, they figured it out and then it took them a couple more years to award it. I see. Okay. Yeah. 1899, first awarded in 2003. Oh my God. So this year, 2019, the first female medalist won. Karen Uhlenbach from UT Austin won this award. Oh, hey. cool. Good for her. Mm -hmm. Um, It comes with a monetary award of 6 million Norwegian kroner. (laughs) (laughs) So that's like $48. (laughs) (laughs) Just enough for groceries. Yeah. Um, it's around seven hundred thousand U.S. dollars. Oh, That's actually, you know what? Great. I'd take that. We're not. We shouldn't sneeze at that. No, absolutely we should, not. We should try some math. Oh, <laughs> I think there are easier ways of getting seven hundred thousand dollars, Julia. Okay, <laughs> just do a couple more game shows, and we'll be all right. No math involved. Oh, love this. Speaking of game shows, so. Uh, if you're not happy with your 700000 you can <laughs> attempt to solve one of the Millennium Prize problems. The Clay Mathematics Institute of Cambridge, Massachusetts, established the seven Millennial Prize problems, and they're chosen by their board, essentially. And these are the seven most difficult math problems. And if you can successfully answer them, you get a million dollars. Do we have to show our work? <laughs> or can we just, like, start submitting numbers? <laughs> Three. We can write 59. a script. 17. <laughs> 284. Um, uh, notably, in math, you can prove something is not true. You don't always have to have a proof that, you know, this is true. You can actually say, actually, this thing is false, and I can prove that it's false. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, which is why I want to bring up your millionaire episode, Lauren. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not your fault. Okay. And we're not dinging the writers. You're not dinging the writers. I'll ding them. Oh, thank um, you. So they asked what the Riemann hypothesis was. And the answer they said was correct is it cannot be solved. 
Okay. The more accurate answer is it's one of the prize problems, so it hasn't been solved yet. Oh. I see. Okay. Yeah. So it. So they. So it, it's a little bit of semantics, but it's definitely. Right. Like it has it was not been solved. solved. That was incorrect yeah. to say mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And it's still <laughs> up, and you can look at it if you'd like. Um, to this date, only one Millennium Prize problem has been solved, and that's the Poincaré conjecture, which was solved by a Russian mathematician in 2003. Wow. And he got a million dollars. He did get a million dollars. Good for him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> taxes, though. <laughs> right? Especially Russian in taxes. Russia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. As we wind down, we'll do a recap with a mathematician you should know. Okay. Her name is Mary Fairfax Somerville. And I'm getting a lot of this information from the book Women in Mathematics by Lynn Osen, which was published in 1974. It sounds like it's an old book, but it's a really good read. Ooh. There's a collection of stories of female mathematicians, and it is a very well-written book. So I recommend if you have nothing to do Fabulous. and you want to read about math, <laughs> this is one of the books. Awesome. Mary Fairfax Somerville was regarded as one of the greatest female scientists England has ever produced. Or let's just put up... Greatest scientists. How about sure. that? Wow. Great. Mary Fairfax was born in Scotland in the 1780. And her father was the same Yorkshire line that George Washington is descended from. So oh, they're God. sort of related. Ooh. Mary's house growing up was close to the shore and she loved to explore the sea coast. And so she spent her time a lot in nature. Uh, she could not read by the age of 10 because her education was primarily about learning to read Bible verses and saying prayers. Mm-hmm. Her father, Lord Fairfax, Lord Fairfax, is there's a that's Lord probably a Fairfax. <laughs> yeah. Lord Fairfax came back after a long trip and noticed his daughter liked to play outside and he called her a savage because of her carefree life. Wow. Yikes. He then sent her to a girls' school in Musselburgh. She did not like it here. <laughs> no. <laughs> because an example of the task she was asked to do was uh, get a page from the dictionary, spell the words, recall their figure of speech, define them, and then recall them in the order that they were presented. Oh, my God. You know, some kids do this for fun nowadays. What? <laughs> spelling bee kids. Oh, yeah. You spelling. know. Well, you know. The annoying teens at pub quiz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So one time she went back home. Uh, she came back home from school and then... Her aunt Janet, again, I feel like these names are fake. I should probably look into them. Anyways, her aunt Janet commented to her mother, and I quote, I wonder, you let Mary waste her time reading. She never sews more than if she were a man. Whoa. Whoa. So get her, give her, give her the cloth. I don't know how you sew, but I assume there's cloth involved. Sure. Um, There were two pivotal experiences Mary had um, that led her to become a mathematician. One was at a tea party, and she was flipping through a fashion magazine Mm -hmm. and found some algebraic symbols in an ad. And she asked her friends, what is this? Her friend said, quote, oh, it's a kind of arithmetic. They call it algebra, but I can tell you nothing of it. And no one else knew about this stuff. She was like, huh. (laughs) Second experience. She was at the Naismith Academy, and she went for painting and dancing. But while she was there, she overheard one of um, the teachers advise a male student to go read Euclid's Elements, which, as we know, is really important. Uh, she was intrigued by why Why do you want to read Euclid? So she didn't know what it was, but she knew it was really, really important to learn. Huh. She was able to obtain a copy uh, via her brother's tutor. 
And while she was sewing in the background, she was actually answering some of the questions during the tutoring sessions. Oh, my God. So she was like a, a prodigy. She was like a math mm-hmm. prodigy. Mm-hmm. Wow. She had no formal mathematics education. It's all happenstance. Wow. Um, her father was still unhelpful and told her mother once, Peg, I swear, I'm just reading these names now. Peg, we must put a stop to this or we shall have Mary in a straitjacket one of these days. Yeah, God forbid a woman has too much information in her brain because that'll just make her crazy and make her... Um, her uterus oh, just yes, floats randomly around her body. It's terrible. <laughs> Ooh, good thing I don't know know nothing about female anatomy, which is fine. I'm sorry, I'm doing a hair flip that um, no one is probably I know it on the podcast. No, it's okay. But we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we appreciate okay, the hair yeah. flip. Thank you. Um, so uh, when she was 24, she got married to Samuel Grieg, her cousin, obviously. Um, she swiped right. Uh, Samuel was not supportive of Mary because of his beliefs about women. Mm. Mm -hmm. He died three years later. Good. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, so actually good, because this left Mary financially independent and was able to study more. She married again, William Somerville, another cousin, obviously. (laughs) He was a surgeon and he was way more supportive. Great. So he helped her do her research, go to the library and sometimes proofread her work. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So their London home was near the Royal Institute of Great Britain, where she continuously studied math. Um, She was invited to write an exposition of two works for a popular audience. And the two works they wanted her to um, rewrite were (laughs) Pierre Laplace's Mécanique, only French I'm going to say, and Newton's Principia, as we know, is really important as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mary was unsure of her qualifications because... Um, Mary wasn't sure of her qualifications because she didn't receive any formal training. And so she asked the people who asked her to write these books, it's like, is if she's unsuccessful, she wants a manuscript to be destroyed and no one tell anyone that she tried to write this. Wow. Okay. She published The Mechanisms of the Heavens in 1831, which was the exposition that was requested of her. And it was an extreme success. This became a required textbook for all honor students at Cambridge. Cool. Wow. And she Dr. had no formal training. She had no formal training. Oh she my was God. in the background just listening to a tutor doing that song, that cross stitch, you know? Yeah. So Dr. William Hewell wrote once that Mrs. Summersville shows herself in the field in which we mathematicians have been laboring all over our lives and puts us to shame. Wow. Oh, my God. That's really cool. And they didn't she try wrote, to steal her work. Yeah. That we know oh, of. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so she wrote a lot more after that, including the connection to the physical sciences, which John Couch Adams said he read something which led him to discover Neptune. What? Oh, my yeah. God. The blue planet. The blue planet. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Um, Somerville College in Oxford is one of the constituent colleges of the University of Oxford in England. It was founded in 1879 as Somerville Hall and is one of the first two women's colleges in Oxford whose graduates played a critical role in the feminist movement, such as Margaret Thatcher and Indira Gandhi. Oh, my God. Great. Wow. She did so much work. She did. Um, This college is quite poetic. As Mary wrote in one of her books, The Connections of the Physical Sciences, which was published in 1834, that she, quote, to make the laws by which the material world is governed more familiar to my countrywoman. Wow. 
and that's a mathematician you should know. We and should know. And now we know. And now we, and know. Now we know. That's amazing. And that's where I'm going to stop talking about math. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much, Eric. This was so interesting. Oh, my gosh. We learned so much. We laughed. We cried. We uh, got connected. I feel like we're closer as friends. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we oh, got to work on our screenplay. Yeah. Listen. I'm going to call you again. I moved here from Georgia. I don't know what a winter looks like. So, <gasps> Oh, yeah. No, please. We're going to help outfit you yeah, for we're winter. We're going to give you links for jackets, boots. We're going <laughs> to talk you through it. We're going to talk you through mid-January. It's a really rough time of year. It's a rough time of Pretty year. Pretty much everywhere in call the winter. Call us whenever, yeah. whenever, honestly. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. It's a lot. I promise. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Eric. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Now I learned so much. I mean, I know so much more about math. You know so much. Oh, my gosh. Misinformation. Full of information. Um, So, Eric, I heard you have a quiz for us. Yep. Um, Because we've talked a lot about presumably straight white men, I wrote a quiz today um, called I Was Told There Would Be No Twinks. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. It's Amazing. a quiz about all things not straight, white, and male. <laughs> so excited. Question one. Many universities around the country establish LGBT centers for college-age students to create a community of support for LGBT students. Name the first university to establish an official LGBT center in 1971. Go blue. Question two. There are only four shows where all lead cast members have won an Emmy. This includes Gay Faves, Will and Grace, and The Golden Girls. Name any of the other two shows with this distinction. Question three. Although there is currently a surge of fights for trans rights, trans individuals have been a pivotal yet often invisible part of history. A pre-colonial class, the Babailan, were considered highly respected trans members who served as interim heads of communities, performed spiritual functions, and healed physical and spiritual ails until Spain colonized their nation in the 16th century. The Babailan were seen as an affront to the Catholic tradition because of their perceived breaking of gender norms and the practice of magic. Name the one Spanish nation the Babailan called home. Question 4. Several gay athletes have been coming out in the past decade. However, there has only been one openly gay athlete to compete in any of the four major North American pro sports leagues. Name this gay NBA center who played for the Brooklyn Nets until his retirement in 2014. Question 5. I'm going to name three celebrities who are identified as gay icons. Name their stage name. A. Francis Ethel Gum. B. Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. C. Christopher Edwin Cooksey. Question 6. In around 400 BC, the ancient Greeks enlisted a military group of 150 male couples to form an elite fighting force. Name this troop which has the birthplace of Oedipus in its title. Question 7. At the 2018 Winter Olympics, Adam Rippon became the first openly gay U.S. male athlete to win a medal at the Winter Olympics. However, he is not the first openly gay ice skating champion from the U.S. Name the athlete who has this honorarium and is the author of an autobiography entitled Icebreaker, published in 1997. Question 8. 
Name the Greek letter associated with the gay liberation movement, which was designed in 1970 by graphic designer Tom Dore, who used this letter for its meaning in the context of chemistry and physics, which is a complete exchange of energy, that moment or span of time witnessed to absolute activity. It's also the symbol associated with the half life parameter of exponential random variables. Question 9. Within 3, identify the number of queens that have graced the drag room work race. Question 10. Back to math. Real or fake? I'm g o i n g to name five mathematical ideas. You tell me if this is a real one a mathematician came up with or one I made up. A. Banana Man. B. The Infinite Unicorn Theorem. C. The Turkey Sandwich Theorem. D. The Hairy Ball Theorem. E. The Cox Zucker Machine. <laughs> We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. Counting sheep when you're trying to sleep, being fair, when there's something to share, being neat, when you're folding a sheet. That's mathematics when a ball bounces off of a wall when you cook. From a recipe book, when you know how much money you owe. That's mathematics. How much gold can you hold in an elephant's ear? When it's noon on the moon, then what time is it here? If you could count for a year, would you get to infinity or somewhere in that vicinity? When you choose how much postage to use, when you know what's the chance it will snow, when you bet and you end up in debt, oh, try as you may, you just can't get away from mathematics. Amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Lauren is like, was over here like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am living. I try not to stare at the screen because I'm like, don't laugh. Don't laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, you should probably not look at me while I'm <sighs> reacting to your questions while you're right. trying to read. All right. Okay. All right. We we're can gonna, do this. We're going to try. Here we、okay. go. Lay it on us. Okay. Question one Name the first university to establish an official LGBT center in 1971. Go blue. Blue is Michigan. I, I mean, that's a good、yeah. answer. I don't have any. Michigan.、Yet. Which Michigan? <gasps> okay. University of Michigan. Correct. It's the University of Michigan. The center today is still working and it's called the Spectrum Center. Oh, that's lovely. Good for Michigan. Question two. Aside from Will and Grace and the Golden Girls, name the other two shows where all cast members have won an Emmy. All lead cast members. All lead cast members. I'm, I'm going to say Friends, maybe? I don't think everyone won. An no. Emmy. And I don't think on Seinfeld. Did Seinfeld everybody win an Emmy? I don't know. Jeez. Shemisha, shemisha. Oof. We're usually kind of good at TV, but yeah, this, is, this is tough.、Um, I don't know. I don't know. Can you think of anything? Hmm. Frasier. Frasier. Great. Frasier?、Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why about I order a cake that says Frasier? <laughs>、um, how about,、uh, about Frasier and 
Seinfeld. Okay. Okay. The two other ones are All in the Family. Oh, damn it. And The Simpsons. Oh. What? Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of. Wouldn't even thought of The Simpsons. No. no, Would not have thought of animated TV series. Good good question. BT Dub, who's your favorite Golden Girl? Um, My favorite is, personally, it's tough. I I really like Rose, but I got to go with B. Arthur. I got to go with. I gotta go with our main Dorothy. our main gal Dorothy. Blanche yeah. is my favorite. Yeah. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Why? Who's yours? Uh, Blanche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The always single, never. Okay, we're done. Um, <laughs> question three: <laughs> Name the one Spanish nation the Babylon called home. Okay. Whew. At first, I was like Brazil, but that's Philippines, Portuguese. Um, is the first yeah. thing that. You know what? That's a good answer. How about the Philippines? How about the Philippines? Correct. It is the Philippines. Nice. Good job, Joel. Yep. Um, question four. Name the gay NBA center who p- played for the Brooklyn Nets. His name is Jason. Jason? Yes. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his last name. Jason? It's like short. It's like Betts or Curry or it's not It's not Steph Curry. Jason Johnson. Jason, Jason. Jackson, Jason. Derulo. Derulo. <laughs> no, he doesn't sing his own name when he walked out on the court. <laughs> Can we get half credit for the first name? <laughs> I mean, you've shown your thinking. That's fine. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. It's Jason Collins. Collins. Collins! Damn it. <clears throat> I remember him. Mm-hmm. Shoot. Okay. Name the stage. Question five. Name the stage in my name of Francis Ethel Gum. Um, that is uh, Miss Judy Garland. That's right. Yes. Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. Please. I saw her in concert in Buffalo and it changed my life. Lady Gaga. <laughs> okay, great. Christopher Edwin Cooksey. All right, Lauren. Who's Christopher? <laughs> she was like, yes, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, Christopher Edwin. a male Edwin. gay icon. Oh, jeez. Male gay icon, Christopher Edwin Cooksey. Someone with a, the stage name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yep, <laughs> that's the I'm question. Just, I'm just trying to buy some time. <laughs> Christopher Edwin. I'm gonna be so mad. Who is it, Eric? Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean. Oh. Damn it! Oh my God! You know, I was thinking older. I did not even think modern. I didn't know Frank Ocean was in his name. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. What has yeah. he been doing? He hasn't come out with an album in a long time. I, I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah. listen to music. <laughs> the only ones I listen to are like, Broadway songs uh-huh. and Broadway songs. Yeah. <laughs> Question six. Name the ancient Greek fighting force of 150 male couples, which has the birthplace of Oedipus in its title. I mean, if my my initial thought was phalanx, but I don't... I, I couldn't even begin to yeah. come up with an answer for this. What is it? Is it phalanx? It's the sacred band of Thebes. Oh, sacred. the band of Thebes. Oh, okay. See, I only know the oh, ship of Thebes. Okay. But yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Question seven. Name the athlete who is the first openly gay ice skating champion from the U.S. and is the author of the autobiography entitled Icebreaker, which was published in 1997. I don't know a lot. Okay. Okay. So... 1990s ice skaters. Great. First thing that popped in my head is Brian Boitano, but I thought he was Canadian because South Park did that song a 
Wait, no. Maybe Brian Boitano. No, I'm going to say Boitano. Okay. I'm going to say our boy Boitano. Is it Boitano? Brian Boitano? It is Rudy Galindo. Oh, oh. we know. Yeah. We I know him. Do we? Yeah. Did you watch ice skating in the 90s? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Only I'm only when my only when my aunt Meme was drunk. <laughs> that's, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> she really that's loved fine. ice skating. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I remember right. him. Rudy Galindo. Question eight. Name the Greek letter associated with the gay liberation movement, which is also the symbol associated with the half-life of exponential random variables. It's lambda. Yep. Yep. Lambda, indeed. It's also on the cover of the video game Half-Life. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Question nine. Within three, identify the number of queens that have graced the workroom on RuPaul's Drag Race. Within three, name... Okay. How so, many how many queens have there been in the workroom in RuPaul's Drag Race? Oh, okay. Within three? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shit. So okay. I initially had this within ten. But I need we need a challenge. Yeah, you're you're not kidding. Okay, so all right, help me with this. All right, I'll do I'll be your numbers, gal. I got a forearm and an elbow. Great and a shoe. You have twenty seven <laughs> things to use. Yeah, yeah. So the first season didn't have a lot of queens. Okay. It was like ten. Okay. Second season, a little bit more. Um, maybe like 10 or 11. Why would you have 11? I don't know. So, because, you know, because RuPaul is a fickle <laughs> mistress and she could like eliminate two at a time or like save some okay. girls. All so right. don't, I mean, right. it doesn't matter. Um, season, I would say like between 10 and 12 up until like season four. Okay. Um, and then, and then you get into like 12. Then you get into like 13 and 14. I think 14 is probably the max amount of girls per season. And there have been 10 seasons. Okay. So if we're getting to season four and we're saying like 43. Okay. Let's say, All right. And then five through 10 is six more seasons and you say 12 to 14 a piece. Yeah. That's 60 to 72. Yeah. And I would, I would probably lean closer to 12 than 14. So that would be like 103 at the low end. Okay. Mm. <laughs> there was, I do remember there was a recent season where Rue was like, she's our hundredth queen. Okay. So I'm going to say, let's go with 103. Unless you wanted to go higher. Like if you have, she, she was our hundredth queen. But does that mean that there's more in yeah, there? Yeah, that's true. I can't remember if that was season 10 or season 11. I'm going to say, uh, let's go with 110. Let's go with 110. Okay. Good thinking. Okay. Love all the math. <laughs> Thank you. If you said any number between 137 to 143, <gasps> you would be correct. It was 140. Oh, my wow. God. That's so much So then that's like 14 per season. Yeah, yeah. Then. For sure, for sure. Wow. wow. I was I was lowballing it. I mm. shouldn't have done that. Yeah, because mm. also like I'm thinking it's season season eleven just finished, so that would have put it over like uh, hundred and twenty. Oh yeah, that's think, true. Like, Twelve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I s- yeah. <sighs> I still think you're fantastic. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Thank yeah, you, yeah, Eric. Yeah. That's very kind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Question ten. Back to math. Real or fake? Just okay. tell me if they're real or fake. Okay. Okay. Banana man. <laughs> what do you think? Real. Your- real. Let's go with real. It's real. Yes. Banana Man is short for Banach Analytic Manifolds. Oh, my God. Whoa. That's very cute. Whoa. Yeah. Um, the Infinite Unicorn Theorem. 
I'm going to say real. Real. It's false. <gasps> but there is an infinite monkey theorem, which <sighs> states that if you had a monkey hitting keys at random yes. on a typewriter for an infinite amount of time, they will surely produce any given text, such as the complete works of William Shakespeare. Yes. That's why I think we should try to get the Millennium Prize. Because... <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, eventually we're going to get the right number. Yeah. And then a million bucks is ours. Hmm. <laughs> the turkey sandwich theorem. I'm going to say yes. That's real. It's false. <gasps> there is, however, a ham sandwich theorem. That's what I was thinking of. Basically, it's about cutting things in half. But oh. I'm not that smart of a mathematician to actually understand the ham sandwich theorem. Okay. The hairy ball theorem. All right. What do you think? I don't know. I clearly have gotten it wrong for the past couple of times. Uh, f- yeah, you know what? Real, because maybe there's a mathematician. His name is Harrison Ball. <laughs> Harrison Ball's theorem. Yeah. Real. Is it, is it real? It's true. Yes. It's um, Murray. If you want to read about it, you can read Murray Eisenberg and Robert Guy's 1979 publication, A Proof of the Harry Ball Theorem in the American Mathematical Monthly. Last one, and I'm going to try to pronounce this as slowly as I can. The Cox-Zucker machine. I'm, I'm going to say real. 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 Yep, it's yes. it's real. So, and we're going to end this with happy pride, and this is where we end it. <laughs> awesome. That was oh so God. wonderful, Eric. That was Thank you so much. So much. Not that we were expecting to not have fun listening about math. But this is so much more fun than I was oh, even yeah. expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And anybody great. that was like, oh, they're talking about math today. <laughs> Please listen and learn yeah. and laugh. Exactly. Yeah. And cry and enjoy everything that uh, Eric has brought to us. So thank you so yes, much, thank Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank uh, you for uh, having me on. And thanks for uh, replying to my email quickly. I love a quick reply to an email. Oh, yeah. No, we're on top of it, <laughs> left, right, and center. I mean, what are we doing at work? <laughs> Nothing. Um, but, uh, is there anything that you would like to plug on the podcast? Um, remember to vote in the primaries or caucus where, and be politically active. We yes. got a lot of work to do. Yes. Absolutely. Agreed. Absolutely. We can fully endorse that 100%. Wonderful reminder. Um, so thanks so much for listening, you guys. Uh, if you want to eat, if you want to get a quick email back from us, uh, you can contact us at, uh, misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at misinfopod. Uh, you can find us on our Facebook page, misinformation colon, a trivia podcast. Uh, and you can go to our website, triple dub.misinfopod.com. You can also stream us on our website and find us pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, uh, Rate, review, and subscribe, everybody. Oh, yeah. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. And tell a friend, Eric. <laughs> tell a friend. Tell all your math friends about us. Put it on blast, yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, thanks so much for listening, you guys. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.